Hi, I'm Nathan in Colorado. I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And I'm James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening and learning to help one another go further with God. We'd love to hear from you and for you to join the conversation. So please email us your questions to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. It's great to be with you all again. Nice to see you guys. Oh, it's great to be here. Nate, James, to see your faces even over Zoom is a balm to my soul. <laughs> so glad to <laughs> Thank see you. you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's good to talk. And I am so tickled with the first question that I want to talk about today. This is amazing to me that that we didn't start this way, actually, but someone has written in and said, I'm loving the podcast, but I want to ask a very elementary question because I'm not certain of the answer. Exactly what is spiritual formation? Can you explain it to me in layman's terms? Isn't that a great question? (laughs) It is. It is, yeah. And it reminds me of someone that I'm now following on Instagram. A woman named Sharon McMahon has become something of an Instagram sensation because she talks about how the U.S. government works and people have so many questions about it. And one question that a phrasing comes in over and over, people will say, can you tell me like I'm five? (laughs) <laughs> and then they'll ask you know, her to explain something really fairly complicated. But basically, people are saying, please explain this to me, assuming I don't already have a bunch of information. Explain it in the most elementary terms. And I find that really helpful to not assume that anybody's got a foundation in this. But what does it mean in the most basic of terms? So... I asked the question, now you guys get to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) I have a practice of reading children's books if I want to understand something. Mm -hmm. I mean, like starting there. Mm -hmm. And because there's something actually quite brilliant about when people are able to take really complex things and bring them down to size, really helpful. It's a good question and one that a lot of people have. So James is now going to eloquently answer it. There we go. Well, look, I struggle with this to give a quick answer, but I probably would work on the question, who formed you? That's where I start with this. Who formed you? Because everybody's been formed. Our views, our understandings, our outlooks, the way we perceive reality has been formed within us. Lots of things we believe in. Somebody formed us. So, I mean, take a silly example. When we're in our car, we're coming up to a stoplight and there are two cars in front of us in the two lanes before us and we've got to make a judgment as to which of the two we're going to join. Are we going to go behind this car or this car? And we pull up behind one of them and we're making 
her judgment. Now, is this car the best one to pull up behind? And we make a judgment about the age of the car, the speed it was going at before we stopped, who's in the car, the age of the person in the car, and some people might even to go, you know, gender in the car. <laughs> right. And we're making a, a judgment on that. And the, the point is, the reason we're making a judgment is because we all know that the rule is you need to get away first. Right. You've got to be the first that one. Rule right. within yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, who taught mm-hmm. you that? Somebody taught you in that sense you've been formed or you've been Look. formed about, I don't know, all sorts of things. Oh, I mean, you're exactly right, James. You're you're right. We have been formed. And the thing that I like to do when people ask me to define spiritual formation is to start by saying, well, first, let's just think about formation, because spiritual formation is one kind of formation, right? And I just got to visit with my newborn grandson, But when I look at him, I can see that he is being physically formed. He came, he was born with some traits, right? He he has his dad's eyes and he has his mom's hair. And I think he's got his mom's nose. Those things came, he was pre-equipped with that package. So his parents or genetics formed him. But now he is being formed by what his mother feeds him, and he's being formed by how he is held and loved, and he has learned to smile because people have held him and smiled at him. So he is being formed physically, and he's meeting milestones physically. But at the same time, he's being formed intellectually. For instance, his mom shows him like black and white drawings a lot because babies can see black and white. So his mind is being formed. And then also his spirit is being formed, even from these earliest days. We all get formed. And I think that's the point you were making with how did we learn that we have to get away first? We've been formed by forces good and ill. Throughout our lives, things have formed us to think the way we think, to feel the way we feel, to act the way we act. So spiritual formation is something that's happening all the time to us. But I think there's a deeper question here, which is, why should I care about spiritual formation? Is there anything about spiritual formation that I should be doing? And I think that's a deeper question than just what is it? Right, right. I think I jump across to a scripture probably at that point. And very significant to me in my understanding of all this is Galatians 4, I think it'll be 18 and following, where Paul says, I am in agony that Christ be formed within you. Agony meaning agony of you know childbirth, that means off the scale agony. agony, (laughs) I can tell you, that's agony. (laughs) Yeah, which is meaning, I really want you to hear this, is what he's Mm -hmm. saying. I really want you to get this point. I'm in agony that Christ be formed in you. And I sometimes say, look, if John 3.16 is the key verse for entering the 
kingdom of God for coming to faith. I dare to say, may sound um, you're arrogant, that Galatians 4, 18 following is the key verse for being in the kingdom of God, that the purpose that God has for us is to form Christ within us. And that's that's our journey. That's our journey to, to yes, ever increasingly yes, have yes. that experience. <laughs> I, I think of it really simply is that the process of being transformed, our transformation into Christ's likeness. And it, it's real common in the Christian world to have conversion, and 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 then maybe you do various practices or live certain ways. But what do you then do? And and I think a, a, a failure to answer that gets a lot of religious folks in um, down rabbit holes that aren't necessarily helpful to themselves uh, or society. But this process of who are you becoming? And I think of it, there's a lot of different ways that we grow into Christ-likeness. Certainly the, the things we do or experiences we have. Suffering, trauma seems to be a, a potential big place for folks. The one thing that I find myself wanting to repeat over and over to folks is that the different things we can do, spiritual practices, exercises, ways we lay our lives before God, the methods are not the point. That these things lead us into interactive relationship with God, simply place us before God, giving God access to these various points in our life. And, and then over time, by the work of the Spirit, we get to change and become uh, someone who maybe looks a little bit more uh, like Jesus. Of course, this is not individual. It's it's an individual process with a communal result. It always is leading outward, always leading to grace and freedom, but the methods only take us to being present before God, living our life with God. And Nate, what you said there is so important because it's easy to think of spiritual formation in a very individualistic terms. It's my spirit that is being formed, but it's important to remember that it is the spirit of God that is forming my spirit. The things that I can do are things that put me into position so that the spirit of God can work on my heart. This is heart work. A good analogy is to think about training. And in fact, especially Paul loved to use that athletic analogy. I'm training to become a certain way, but it's very easy to think of athletic training or physical training as something that I do. I put in the reps and I do the work and it happens. Spiritual formation happens because of the grace of God. I put in the work and the Spirit of God works where I can't reach. So it's it's spiritual formation with a capital S then, I think, that we, we do things that put us into the position to be able to receive that deep work of God so that we are transformed into Christ-likeness. So I think maybe if I had to just define spiritual formation, you know, in 25 words or less, <laughs> taking from what you guys have said, I, I would probably say it is the process by which the Christian cooperates with the Spirit of God and with other Christians, with friends in formation, <laughs> so that their souls are nourished and their lives are transformed into Christ-likeness. 
Very, Does that very work? helpful. Very helpful. Yeah, yeah it, it works for, I think so. And it, I love the point about placing ourselves in a place where God can change us. You know, it's mm-hmm. that cooperation piece. It's, it's, it's not saying I'm going to be responsible for all of this. I'm doing this. I'm going to mm-hmm. force my way into this or that I'm going to just hand it all over to God and expect him to make it all happen. It's this lovely cooperation of placing myself in a place where God can change me through practices, activities, um, habits, Mm -hmm. disciplines, all of that. I mean, this is a particularly radical thought, though historic, that we can become, we can increasingly become more like him. Not that- That's right. Change is possible. <laughs> is, it, a change is possible, and the response, you know, is 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 not perfection, but it is progress in this. Mm-hmm. And and I found that very helpful. It's it, it, it's this idea that we can actually start. We can actually start increasingly to be the same as Jesus. But that only comes if our interior is like his interior, because. If you try to copy the exterior, it doesn't work very well. We fall into right. legalism. If we start finding our interior, our hearts are being changed, then who we are on the outside reflects who we are on the inside. There's this lovely old quaint, is it um, Puritan perhaps? I don't know, that eventually your petticoat will show have you come across that? It's a lovely <laughs> that. idea that eventually what's on underneath will come out outside. And um, I find that helpful. So who we are on the inside, it comes out. It comes out under stress, under hard times, all sorts of things. But it's who we are on the inside. And and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me in the way that I'm an imitator of Christ. So we're being encouraged to imitate. Imitatio is the idea. So lots of concepts there, and we should come back to this issue again, I hope, because there's more to say. There is. It's not just an elementary question, is it? No. <laughs> and and I think just to maybe sum things up, in terms of the results, what happens one, we're often the last to know, and, and it's probably best that way. <laughs> but but one picture I have is that we, we get to become people more at ease with God, ourselves, and others, people who are able to naturally respond to life in a way that, that Jesus would if he was living our life, people who love well, and that the fruit of the Spirit naturally, organically flows in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the follow-up to James's Galatians 4 passage. It's Galatians 5 that you just referenced, Nate. It starts with, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And what does freedom look like? Well, in our lives, it looks like love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's a great description of someone who is able to love well. Thanks for that. All right, I got the next question, and this comes to us from Alice Joy. 
She says, our pastor challenged our church to fast on the first day of every month in 2020, which I did faithfully with no results. In fact, I almost began to dread the first of every month. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally sold on the idea of fasting, have read a lot of material on fasting, and even given a few devotional lessons on fasting. Yet, I'm still struggling with even wanting to fast or getting the results I hope to get. An increased sense of the Lord's presence, spiritual breakthroughs, and some personal issues I struggle with, and answers to prayer. And we've been challenged again in 2021 to continue to fast and pray on the first of each month. I recently read Dallas Willard said, if you struggle with a certain discipline, that is the one you should continue to do. And then she closes with the statement, please help me, exclamation point. (laughs) So, friends, could someone help Alice Joy? I'll start by saying Alice, don't feel like the Lone Ranger. You aren't the only one who struggles with this. And I'd say that's why the church has often struggled with it. Um, And (laughs) very often the church has said, we're not sure it's the right thing to do even because of the struggles people have with it. So I don't think we should say it's an essential core spiritual discipline that you're not a follower of Jesus if you're not able to. So just, you know, chill a bit. And for health reasons, not everybody should to do it for, you know, people have eating issues, people have health issues and diet issues. So I think we want to take the pressure off. If you're not feeling it's right for you, you're in very good company. And many great Christians have not actually found this to be the discipline they should be aiming at. Having said that, many of us have found it helpful, and I certainly have. But I'm particularly concerned about legalism, which is one of the reasons why the church has said maybe it's not the most helpful, because it's so easy when a grace comes along and people say, this is wonderful. I've so enjoyed this experience. It's been so helpful to me. And then someone else comes and says, and they turn it into a law you know, you must do this, you must do this. No, 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 that then drains it if it becomes a law. It's only grace. It's just another opportunity to place ourselves in places where God can change us. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Maybe one of the first places to start, and this really, I think, fits for all spiritual disciplines, is, is to not start primarily with it being transactional. And, and that's just real common. Everything we do in our society is, is transactional. But the first place I'd say is it the, it's to be with God and to give God access. Now, in that, we make requests and make them with great passion. And fasting is one way to say, I'm really serious about this particular issue or area or, or, or prayer. But, and I, I struggle to say this next sentence, but I found it really helpful. And for me, the results aren't necessarily my business. My business is to place myself before God and give God access. And then if results happen, great. Thank you. If results don't happen, great. Thank you. That is God's business. I'm not twisting God's arm. Um, so I found that particular piece quite helpful. The other thing I'll say on fasting is obviously fasting from food is primarily what people think, but there are so many different areas we can fast from. Some people 
should not fast from food. It's it's not wise medically or psychologically for many people. Uh, eating disorders are just kind of rampant in our culture. But there's all sorts of things you can fast from. You can fast from gossip. You can fast from talking. Fast from spending uh, your phone, your television, computer, all sorts of different uh, different things we can fast from. So I wouldn't I wouldn't make it a limiting, but it's very easy to get caught up in what 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 am I getting out of this or not? And as much as we can suspend that uh, impulse, I, I I think is helpful. That's really helpful, Nate, to think of this not transactionally, but as part of the journey of of growing. I think about wanting to become more like Jesus, and that takes me back to reading the Gospels. And right now, I'm thinking of Jesus with his friends in the garden. Remember when he he took his friends and said, watch here and pray, and then he went on further to pray, and he came back and they'd fallen asleep. But remember what he said to them? He said, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. I used to read those words of Jesus, and I used to read them as an indictment. Like Jesus was saying, you dummies, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Get get with the program. But now I have come to see that Jesus is offering that after having lived on earth as a man for 30-odd years. And he's saying, I know this is true. The flesh is weak, even if the spirit's willing. And fasting is one way that you might be able to help your flesh catch up a little bit with your spirit. The more you you can gain more and more control, but it's not offered as a punishment. It's offered as an invitation to grow a little every time. And makes me think, y'all will not be surprised, this brings to mind a hymn. (laughs) There's a hymn that was written in the... (laughs) The uh, I think the mid 19th century called the Great Physician. Do you guys know this old hymn? It begins, "The Great Physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus." Isn't that great? The sympathizing Jesus, he speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. I just I love that to think of Jesus as sympathetic as one who understands, and of course, that reminds me of the the passage from Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us, but one who has been tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus comes alongside us, as we like to say in Renovari, as our Savior, Teacher, Lord, and Friend. And this is one of the means of grace that He extends to us. Why? Because he knows that it works. He knows that our flesh is weak. And this is one thing that we can do to help us become a little less weak. That's good. I mean, that my experience with fasting is is that it, it leads to a greater sense of freedom. Even when I quote unquote fail, right? I set out to do something and then and then, you know doesn't turn out the way I was intending. But man, I have learned so much about myself in terms of ways I medicate, ways I, you know, check out or numb feelings by, you know, depriving myself of certain normal functioning, functioning things. 
I'm I'm really glad that that she brought this point up about you struggle with the discipline, then this is the the one for you. <laughs> and and I, I I agree that oftentimes the ones that we we look at and go, oh, I don't I don't know, we we probably have the potential to get the most results uh, out of it. But but I'm really big on like you had mentioned, Rochelle, of this kind of invitational piece that uh, now now I don't want to speak to her situation with the church and what the community's doing and you know her role in that. But in general, for me, the deciding of pursuing a new practice is is very much an issue of prayer and an issue of discernment. And I have found that there's a kind of a yes in my spirit. It may be that it's a practice that I'm going to suffer with or it's going to be difficult, but I have this kind of settled enthusiasm of, mm-hmm. you know, I, yes, this is where we're going. And it, it, it feels like a very kind of interactive, invitational mm-hmm. piece. Making ourselves do stuff that, well, I'm not quite sure how to say this, but sometimes it can be harmful to do certain spiritual practices. Sometimes they can uh, end up being destructive, particularly if we're going into them in kind of forced ways, uh, although God is quite gracious in the midst of that as well. Yeah, but what you're alluding to there, I think, Nate, at least in part, is that the the practices are not an end in themselves. They're a means to an end, right? So we're not not gaining brownie points here by fasting. It isn't earning. It's not Mm -hmm. earning. We're not Mm -hmm. trying to earn our way to anything. Your effort is good as well because that can help us. Yeah, I just want to emphasize again to balance fasting with other things we can do. So if somebody's fasting, great. I want to see a little bit of evidence that they're doing some of the other, like uh, celebration. Some people find the fasting easy and celebration really hard (laughs) because they don't feel they should or it's bad or we're feeding ourselves. You know, I want, I'd like to see a good bit of celebrating going on. I think we're sometimes, you know, oh, let's do the fasting bit, but actually, (laughs) you know, maybe believers need to do a little bit more celebrating as well. So let's just even the score up a a bit there and, you know, check ourselves on that. Uh, um, And then the other thing, I, I just, I do think there's something about why. Why do we do it? What are we trying to achieve here? I know somebody who I really admire who for years, I think, would fast a meal a week. That's all it was. One meal a week he gave up as he prayed for, I think it was El Salvador, I think it was. He was burdened by El Salvador. He gave up one meal a week just as an act of prayer about El Salvador. And I was so impressed by that because it wasn't what I would have expected. So why are we doing it? And he felt the Lord was inviting him into that. Dallas Willard recommended fasting as one of the things to to help if you've got an issue with uh, lust, because if you're able to control yourself on one thing, food or something else, as we've just said, for iPhones or TV, or whatever it is, maybe that will start to strengthen the capacity within us 
to fast, as it were, from unhealthy things. Uh, lust being an example of that. So I thought that was interesting. Why do we do it? That might be one. I remember a, a few years ago, I was fasting for a particular issue. I was looking for a big change in life. And I was praying and fasting, because we often say prayer and fasting. And I was praying over this issue. Oh, Lord, I'd love this to happen. I know I'll fast over it. And over <laughs> the time, your arm. you can see what's coming here. You can see what's coming here. And so over the period of that fasting, I realized that the Lord wasn't actually using the fasting to, to underline what I was seeking, to reinforce what I was seeking. He was actually preparing my heart for the fact that the answer was going to be no. He was actually using it. And in a very profound way, I came out of it going, oh my goodness, what I was going, what I went in for was to reinforce what I was seeking. What I came out with was the Lord saying, I don't think this is what I want for you. And I, 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 that was a hugely helpful experience. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So just as we were talking about um, that this is spiritual formation, capital S, the spirit is at work. And we do our little bit to put ourselves in position for the spirit to work, in this case, fasting. But we don't get to dictate what the spirit does in our hearts. We receive. And that is so mm -hmm. freeing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we, we're kind of obsessed with managing right. everything, but to just <laughs> be able to go, I, 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 I trust you, right? right? Yeah. I, I know what I'm to do. I have a clear direction in this next step and you do your work. Yeah. And if perhaps just just a last thing for me on this is is um just the how-tos. You know, mm -hmm. I think if it is eating, then I think go from each eat one evening, eat a decent meal like you normally would, go to bed and then don't eat until the following evening. I find that a very manageable thing to do. So the next day first half of the day, I can be, I might if I have to work even, because I've only missed breakfast. Or if I possibly can, I'm having a walk, time out, or some spiritual reflection reading. But for the first half of the day, I'm, I'm operating okay, because I'm, I haven't you know, skipped much. At the midday, when I don't eat then, then things begin to happen. And often I'm exhausted and I'll often actually want to go and sleep, which I do if that's what I feel I want to do. And as the afternoon goes on, that's when things become interesting because I'm you know, struggling at that point. That's when I, I lie on the bed, perhaps. I'm in a prayerful attitude. I'll take a walk. I'll I'll consider things. That's where I'm listening more, and I'm finding greater clarity comes at that stage. This is just one person's experience, okay? One person's experience. And that it's those last few hours before I come out of the fast that I find I'm more aware of the spirit. That would just be an experience I've had. You know, I can kind of add 
add on that. And, and, and certainly if you're doing a food fast, you want to be you know, wise about it and talk to your doctor, consult medically. I've noticed, and this is, I'd be curious to hear if you guys have had similar experiences. To me, there seems to be a window. Well, okay, first off, start small, right? And James, what you said, that's just a perfect entry point. For some reason, for me, it seems that I hit a wall around three days. That the first couple of days are just miserable. I'm I'm suffering. I don't feel like praying. It's just kind of, and then there seems to be this wall where it's like this kind of world opens up. Then I just feel like I could go forever in a sense. And then the way I would think of it is it feels like the volume gets turned up on God, that I'm just just something totally different, even though I'm still kind of suffering. So at any rate, I don't I don't know if there's you know, anything maybe physiological to a, after a few days, but I struggle. I'd much rather do a three-day fast or five-day fast than, you know, a meal a week or something like, well, I guess two meals a week mm-hmm. or something. I really think that what you've just given are two examples of how it can vary. And I think fasting is a discipline that we really, really need to do at the invitation of the Spirit for the Spirit to lead us as the Spirit will, and for us just to follow the lead and see where it goes. I think we can trust the journey. Which ties in really well to our first question about spiritual Mm -hmm. formation. This ongoing Ongoing process, process. extending through our (laughs) life, potentially on into eternity. So are you really saying I should think about stopping my, you know, iPhone? Is that a serious? I mean, that I'd rather skip a meal than skip. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Will the world stop turning? <laughs> <laughs> of course, without my right, engagement, yeah. it will. It has transformed the way I use technology. Mm-hmm. To be quite honest, some yeah. of those. But yeah, it's, it's, some people would suffer, get stay off social media right. or scrolling news, you no. know, suffer well, friends, <laughs> <laughs> suffer well. Well, look, I'm going to move us on here to another issue because we've had some very interesting emails coming in of a similar kind. I'm thinking here of Mary Lou in Denver, who's talking about contempt and the struggle with the feelings of contempt, which I do think people have. Someone else wrote and asked, I'm experiencing greater levels of ill will towards others. And I'm concerned about where this ill will is coming from. I'm not quite sure I understand what the backgrounds of this is, but should I be concerned And what advice have you got for how to handle it? Ill will towards others. It's something, I think they're saying it's something around a jealousy here or a bit of wishfulness, even anger towards people that when things, something bad will happen to them or they'll be caught up because of that. Now, I thought that was a very interesting question, just a general sense of ill will towards others and what what the answer is. And I love the honesty there and we value it when people email us with really honest issues. So um, mm-hmm, any mm-hmm. ideas on that? Mm. Boy, I do feel deep empathy here because frankly, The world we're living in, guys, we have to take great care not to feel contempt for folks these days. And it really is easy 
to feel some ill will toward people in the world. And of course, here we are (laughs) after however many months of various stages of lockdown. (laughs) Right now, I think it's easy to feel ill will toward the people we see on the news and maybe ill will toward the people who live in our house (laughs) because we've all been under such pressure and duress. But I really, I do appreciate the honesty of this question. Yeah, I do too. And I I relate as well. Maybe the first thing I'll say is that humans can be quite Mm -hmm. awful. We can be very destructive forces in a lot of different ways. And so sometimes that ill will is actually quite justified and, and you, you, you should be angry. You know, you should be upset, particularly when it's for the sake of others, or these are issues that are active forces against the kingdom of God. So there is some of that. Boy, I struggle with this because, you know, in one sense, the easy answer is to disconnect. And, you know, for me, I I think it's been maybe a good month where I've almost completely disconnected from news, primarily because it would, I just didn't like what it was bringing up in me, this ill will towards, towards others and sometimes outright rage. One of the practices that's been super helpful for me is to pause and look at myself. Because usually what irritates me about others says as much about me, maybe even more than it does them. And Often it's something that I don't like in myself that I see in them or something I'm afraid of, uh, afraid I'll become. And, and so sometimes the ill will can be a, a projection of sorts. So sitting with that prayerfully, I've, I've found quite helpful, which often leads me to a sort of confession. And then the other piece I'd give is, is prayer, praying for others. I think Jesus's words about praying for enemies. Um, I may have said it before, but I think it's just as much about for us as it is for them because it changes something in me and it changes my heart, often moving me a little closer towards empathy for others, which, you know, then helps. But, but the feelings, the emotions are, can be quite uncomfortable and, and difficult, not really any easy answers in it. What, what you just said, Nathan, makes me think that we can take as a discipline. We can we can make ourselves pray for our enemies, literally as a discipline. I will do this as an act of obedience. And I think at, at the beginning, it is maybe a gritting your teeth kind of discipline. <laughs> but what, what we want is to become the kind of people who will bless those who curse us, right? The kind of person Jesus was. And we are not naturally like that. So we discipline ourselves to pray for our enemies, and we ask the Spirit to change our hearts so that we actually mean what we're praying. And sometimes I think we start with, Lord, could you please change them? (laughs) Instead, maybe, God, I lift up to you your image bearer blank, whoever it is toward whom we're feeling ill will. Lord, you love Tom, Dick, or Harry, whatever. You love this person. This person is made in your image. I pray for them, Lord, in humility and in trust that you provide what they need. Maybe something as simple as that. And we offer that not because we particularly want to pray for them, but we do it because we want to change into the kind of people who will not have ill will toward them. And God will work with us. I, 
I often start with, I want to mm-hmm. pray <laughs> or I want mm-hmm. to want to, and that I just let that one <laughs> sit for a while. Because it's, it can be so mm-hmm. difficult, especially when you deal with issues of evil right? or direct mm-hmm. harm to others, you know. Well, uh, just to say, I um, absolutely go with this. And I think one of the things I've had to work through is in praying for enemies or ill will or contempt is the worry is that that it actually gives you permission to be more anxious or to mm. focus on the problem so you know your i remember just a little while back i was praying for some issue and and a situation where i felt very charged by this person and under the guise of, oh, I, I'll pray for them, I just got more and more wound up, you know. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking, I do think we ought to look at the psychological issues there, just to be careful that we don't mm. put a gloss on worry or a, a gloss on getting ourselves in a bad place from a psychological issue. You know, there's a if you've got a tooth that's you know hurting, the, the the funny thing is you sometimes probe your tooth with your tongue just to mm-hmm. check if it's hurting still. Do you ever, <laughs> you ever have that experience? Yes, exactly. And you go, it makes it worse. I really, exactly. sh- I really shouldn't do that. I really shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. But then I do it again and I probe it and oh oh, oh it, yes, it's still hurting. So in the <laughs> praying for enemies, I don't want to get obsessed with it. Do you know what I mean? There is something in prayer of, I've prayed, I've now prayed, now I'm going to stand in that prayer and lay it down. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to walk away from this because it's not helping me. And actually, I'm using it as an excuse to just get more anxious about it. So I'm just... I just offer that. You know, I do think we need to work at why are we getting, why the contempt? I mean, this is what we're being asked mm-hmm. here from Mary Lou and others and ill will. And I do think there's something about, you know, childhood going on here. I mean, the, the fact that there's people are saying it's getting worse under the current situations, the current mm-hmm. adversity we're under. And I do think there's something about if I can go into sort of neuroscience, the way we're formed, our brains are formed. I do think there's something here to help us. So the left-hand brain is the more logical side of our brain, according to scientists like Dr. Daniel Siegel in his book, Mind Sight, all one word. It's a groundbreaking book. It's a New York Times bestseller. He's not a mm-hmm. follower of Jesus, as far as we're aware. But he talks about the logical uh, left-hand side. And then the, the right-hand side is the more feelings side of us. And that is formed earlier. The earliest you mm-hmm. know, childhood part of us is that more feelings, relational intimate side of us. And that's the bit that needs to feel safe. And many of our issues as adults are because that bit of us and our childhood didn't go so well. And Mm -hmm. the point is the contempt and ill will might be flagging up some issue in those early stages, just when we're very small. And it might be that we need to be returning 
to God to nurture us in that side of things. I'm very keen on Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not Mm -hmm. want. I feel contempt, I feel ill, but I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. What kind of a sheep can lie down in green pastures? There's lots of greenery, it's lush, it's great food. Why not eat it? Well, the only sheep that can do that is a full sheep, Mm -hmm. is a sheep that's satisfied, that has its needs fulfilled. And this contempt and ill will for me is signaling, hmm, where's that coming from? And and it can be traced to a childhood. It's it's you know, it's like the tooth that's hurting. We probe it and we check it. And there's something going on in our early childhood. So, and Jesus, and this, I mean, why is that psalm the world's favorite psalm? I suggest it's because it it speaks to that part of us. So I just offer that, you know, he restores my soul Though I walk through Mm -hmm. the valley of the shadow, you know, those anxious times, he feeds me, I'll dwell in the house. I mean, these are comforting, nurturing, you know, images. And I think those are the times we want to press in there. Mm -hmm. And, And I think, James, it's very important what you're talking about here, because that Psalm 23 picture That brings to mind how Jesus is called the good shepherd, the shepherd who would leave the the 99 to find the one who is lost. So often, I think, what is formed in childhood is this idea of, of a God who is very strong and very powerful and who is angry at me or at very best disappointed in me. So it's it's not the good shepherd who makes sure that the sheep is cared for. It's the one who's going to smite you with lightning because you're, you know, so evil. So I do think we've got to get our our picture of God sorted out. We we've got to learn that God is good or as first John says that in him is no darkness at all. There is not in God any desire to strike his sheep dead or to punish or to smite. That that is not the God that Jesus teaches us about. He teaches us about a God who loves us, who would do anything for us, including coming and living among us so that we can be lifted into his life, including dying because of our sin. This is a God of love and goodness and generosity and kindness. And if we start with distorted pictures of God as the great punisher, I'm not sure we're ever going to get to the point where we're feeling the peace that we can then extend to others, as you're talking about here. You know, Jesus said that, um, basically said that what's inside will come out. And I think that that's probably what your petticoat quote was about earlier. Luke 6.45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The ill will will come out if it's in us. But if we can know that 
God loves us, if we can start from the position of knowing that we are beloved by God, well, then there's some goodwill that can filter to the surface. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Renovari's Friends in Formation. Head over to renovari.org and find loads of more helpful resources and, very importantly, the regular Renovari podcast. We'd really like to have your questions, and thank you so much. We've been getting a number of them, and it's just delightful to see. Uh, so feel free to send them to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org.